We continue our series on the city of God this morning, and we are going to be hitting a different um, portion of scripture from Ezekiel chapter 40. And if you open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 40, you'll see that where we begin this morning is an interesting slice of scripture. If you know anything about the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is uh, uh, what type of man? What type of role and responsibility does he have in Israel? Anyone? He's a prophet. And for those of you who don't know what a prophet's job is, a prophet is given words by God that are truth. He is a truth teller. And in those words that God gives to a prophet, that prophet speaks those words that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, might hear those words, be convicted by the truth that is being spoken to them, and be called back to obedience to God and his commands. Now, so often we see prophecy as forth-telling, right? As someone who is a prophet is someone who looks into the future. And that truly can be an idea that we can bring from prophecy. But so often, prophecy is not just about the foretelling or what we call often apocalyptic visions, the vision of what is to come. Oftentimes, what they are speaking is truth into the now, into the present. It's not necessarily about the future. It is about the now, and that now, as we live into what God has for us here speaks into what our future will be through God's work in us. In this passage this morning, we have a great combination of that truth telling for the present and forth telling for the future. As God's people live into the present truth of this text, God will shape and form the people and his city so that in the future, in the days to come, that new reality is the result, the consequence, the movement of God in his people so that the future is, is made sure by his work now. So when you see prophetic visions, when you read books like Ezekiel, when you read the last portion of the book of Daniel, when you read things like the book of Revelation, understand that what you're reading is not just about a future existence in God. It certainly is. We hear, especially in Revelation, what is to come when Christ returns for his own. But understand also that prophetic words are to call us to live in a present reality, a present command, present obedience, so that that future is made more real by our present reality. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 40, that present reality is God's city and the future is what God's city will become as God's people live into that reality. So this vision that God has is for a city that is planned around his purposes. And as we read this text this morning, I'm sure that you will look at it and go, well, why is this something that we need to read? Why is this something that is supposed to have value to me? Well, first of all, let's understand that God says it's valuable. God in this text says it's important. Read with me the first four verses of Ezekiel chapter 40. 
In the 25th year of our exile, Israel is out of Jerusalem. They are away from their their country because of their disobedience. God has called another nation to come and take them away. We talked about those two nations last year, or last week. There was where Babylon and Assyria were the two nations that took the Israelites into exile. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the fall of this city, the fall of Jerusalem, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there to the city. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. So we know this is a prophetic vision. God is showing up in Ezekiel's life in a very unique way. He is in a a vision reality. This is not about uh, the sort of being on a mountain and seeing what is before you. This is about seeing what is to come. On his south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to everything I am going to show you. For that is why I brought you here. Tell the house of Israel everything you see. God is saying in that portion to Ezekiel, guess what, prophet of Israel, this is important. I want you to watch, write down everything. Write down every number. And you'll see, if you follow the text in the future chapters, there's lots of numbers. There's words like cubits. A cubit is about a meter and a half, maybe about this long. Okay, so that's what a cubit is. It tells you how long walls are, how big courtyards are, how tall gates are, different things that come out. And we look at that and we would say, why is that important? Why should I know that? Why should I hear that? Well, we know that it is important because God says it is important to Ezekiel. He says, tell everyone they need to know this. They need to listen to my words. God wants his people to to hear that he has a particular plan for his beloved city, Jerusalem, both the present city and the future, and that he is constructing it for his particular purposes. So particular that we get these measurements. So particular that we get the length of walls, the type of fabric used, the things are supposed to happen within this city, the instructions of what worship is to look like. All these things are given to us in this book because God wants us to hear. There is a particular plan here that he has for his city. Now, in the chapters after that, you see East Gate to the Outer Court in your headings. The Outer Court. The north gate, the south gate, gates to the inner court, the rooms for preparing sacrifice, rooms for the priest, the temple itself, rooms for the priest. And then we get to chapter 40. After all these particulars, and there's more to come, by the way, after chapter 43, all these particulars, we hear the specifics. Here's how long things are. Here's how big they are. But then we read in verse 43 a a different thing. It's not about a measurement now. Let's read that together, verse, 40, uh, verse 1 of chapter 43. Then the man brought, to me, brought me to the gate facing east. And I saw the glory of the God of Israel 
coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kabar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel will never again defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their prostitution and the lifeless idols of their kings at their high places. We hear Ezekiel bearing witness to God coming and dwelling. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of God's glory coming in its fullness under the earth, that sounds like it's a pretty good thing, right? That sounds like something I would like to see. Something even that this world needs more of, correct? I mean, after we think about even another week that we've had, turmoil in Turkey, Nice, France, and all the death there. We think about the continued violence that can happen in different places in this country. And we think about the wars that we've forgotten about because there's so many other things going on. We think about the, the, the people in Afghanistan, in Iraq who continue to be in conflict, nameless conflicts in Africa and in the Indonesian area. All these different things that we've even forgotten about because there is so much violence. I hear this vision of the glory of God coming to earth and I say, yes, please. Come on, do it now. Come bring peace. Come bring your glory in such a way that all this stuff, semi-trucks used for weapons, countries in turmoil because they don't know who's in charge, the violence that happens between races, the violence that happens between tribes, the violence that happens in any space and place in this country that we can think of it seems now. Come, God, come bring your presence so that all this ends and we can stand into the new reality of your city in all its glory. And we hear in this text that that's what God is preparing for himself in his city, in the new Jerusalem to come. It is going to be a place of his dwelling, a place where his glory resides. And if we look ahead even to the book of Revelation, we see that his glory is so great that there is no lights needed. You don't need solar power in heaven. Why? Because you have God power. You don't need, you know, flashlights in heaven because the radiancy of the Lamb of God is so bright that every corner, nook and cranny of all creation is lit up with the glory of God. I long for that. I long that God's light comes to cemeteries. And it shows its light into the morning of death. That, it's, that God's light comes into the hospital rooms where diagnoses come, 
that it comes into the bedrooms and living rooms of those who are broken and hurting and need comfort. I long for the light of the glory of God to come. And we have this picture in Isaiah 43, or Ezekiel 43, that that is to come. The city is a place of holiness because it is God's home. He is making our eternal home. But remember what I said at the beginning. We hear about this future reality, but it is rooted in a present calling of the text. And that present calling, as we live into obedience to it, it is what that, that thing that moves us towards the future reality. And thus we get these passages following verse 7, beginning at verse 8. When they place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between them, this is still God talking, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them, that exile that we talked about in my anger. And then we hear this. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and the lifeless idols of their kings and I will live among them forever. We hear this calling towards the people of Israel, and thus, since it is for the people of Israel, it is for us. And we hear it pretty clearly. Put away your prostitution and your lifeless idols. Now, many of you hear that word prostitution, and you say, I'm guiltless. I haven't participated in that sinful activity. Understand, please, though, that prostitution, as we hear it in this text, is not just the prostitution that we think of in our present culture, sex for hire. It is a prostitution where someone buys into something that defiles them. It is buying into, selling yourself into something that leads to death and not life. So if we get that definition of prostitution, then perhaps many more of us, if not all of us, become more guilty. Because what have we sold our lives to? What have we sold, what have we bought into in this world that brings us to death? Have we brought into materialism? The answer to that question is yes. So often in our culture, we bought into it. Get more things, get more stuff. It's about achievement. It's about some sort of hedonism where I worship pleasure. Or we, we've bought into something like this idea that our, our wholeness comes through a substance. Alcohol, drugs. Our, our, our wholeness comes through some sort of pleasure that we receive sexually or otherwise. We are, are, we've bought into things that, that don't give life. We've bought into this idea that our kids are what give us purpose. We worship at the altar of our children. We see it so often. There's an idolatry of children in our culture, isn't there? I mean, we, we make sure that our kids have the best places to go, the best education, the best experiences. They have to, they have, to have this level, otherwise we're behind. We bought into that. We bought into this, any and every idea that sells our souls, our hearts, to something else except God. And the calling here 
In Isaiah, or Ezekiel 43, I'm going to get that right one of these times. Ezekiel 43 is put away. Put it away. Put it in a cupboard. Put it in the backyard buried in the ground in a coffee can. Put it away from you. Put that thing that has a hold on you behind you so that you can look in front of you and see the fullness of the glory of God. The glory of God which is holy. And he calls us if we're going to be in his presence to be holy. And these things stop us from being holy. This is a call to repentance. This is a call for us to renew our commitment to following God above all else, above anyone else, above anything, any pleasure, any purpose, any any way of life that is not God. He calls us to put that away, get away from it so that you might be holy and in your holiness that I am at work doing in you, you can be in my presence because I am holy. We want to see that glorious vision of peace, don't we? We want to see that glorious vision of God's presence lighting up all of our reality, don't we? And if we are going to experience that, we need to be holy because if we aren't holy, we can't be in God's presence. This call to repentance is a a welcome card. It's a ticket. Come be with me. And here's how you do it. Put that other stuff away. Now understand, of course, this is not a call to works righteousness. For us to hear, you can try harder and gain the ticket. You can work better. You can be more righteous and get welcomed into God's holiness. For us to hear that is a wrong communication. If you're hearing that this morning, then I have work to do. Because I want you to know very clearly that you and I cannot in and of ourselves gain that gift of holiness because it is a gift. Terry and her team led us this this morning in that song, Grace, Grace, God's Grace, Grace that pardons all my sin. The holiness that we experience comes through the transformational work of the cross of Jesus Christ that redeems us into holiness. And that perhaps more is the the reality that we can live in, that present reality which affects the future experience that we have in this world, is that we live more deeply into the grace of Jesus Christ. God has done work. He has paid prices for you. God has has given himself up. He emptied himself from Philippians chapter 2. He gave up what he was in all the fullness of his glory to become human so that you might be able through the grace of Jesus Christ to be made holy. The question is, what are you and I doing with that grace? How are we living into it? God's calling here is to put away those things. Put them away. And it's not one of those things where we can sit there and say, oh, I will someday. Oh, I'll deal with that thing someday. I'll confess that someday. I'll be transformed someday. Because the calling is for now. This is the present reality and the future depends on it in you. 
Your future depends on your now. Are you living into the grace? Am I living into the grace of Jesus Christ? Because as I do, as I live more deeply into that grace, my future is transformed and made different. God's city is built differently because of the work that I uh, allow God's grace to do in me. And I am a stubborn goofball. How many of you are? We hang on to those sins. We hang on to those things. We, we feel trapped by them. We don't know how to get out of them. I can tell you that the one thing that you can begin with is speak the truth. Say, I'm broken. I can't get over this. I can't put it away. I can't dig the hole in the backyard to put my sin in. I can't do that. Why? Because God works through the power of Jesus in his people. You're not alone. Guess what? We got a lot of people here who don't know how to use those shovels either. We got some who do. And we can live in it together. You can live out of your addiction into new life together in this community, but you got to open up the door. You can live into a, a new reality where you are not enslaved to the idolatry of, of things through materialism or to this idea that if your kids aren't perfect, that you're not perfect, you're, you're not good either. You can be made, you can live into new life together in God's community, but it means you got to open it up and be honest about it means that you have to say to a trusted brother or sister, maybe a pastor, maybe one of the elders, maybe one of the deacons, maybe at the end of the service, you come up here to the front. There will be people here who would love to talk to you about what it means to put this stuff away. And we will let Christ do that work in you because he's the only one who can do it. But it means that we have to open it. That's where the calling is here. We hear in this text that there is a call to responsibility. Put it away. God calls us to be ashamed of our sin and put it away. This is a call to repentance. Now, how many of you are ashamed of your sin? Right? Now, I know you are. That's one of the reasons why you wouldn't, if I gave an open mic here, you wouldn't stand up here and share your sin. Right? We're ashamed of it. We don't want people to know. And I would never do that because I don't think that's the best way to handle it. But I do know that one of the ways that we can face our shame is be honest about it within the body of Christ where that can be taken care of with Christ working through his people. In your shame, Open up your heart that Christ might come in and bring his light and his glory that invades every corner and makes you and I new so that our future reality is sure. Okay, but then we get this confession. We get this call to repentance. And then we get some specific instruction out of it. And it's interesting instruction. We'll begin at verse 10. Son of man... Describe the temple to the people of Israel. Okay, the command of Ezekiel chapter 40, tell the people of Israel everything that you see here, that they may be ashamed of their sins, reiterating that whole idea of a call to repentance. Let them, the next instruction, let them consider the plan, and if they are ashamed of all they have done, make it known to them the design of the temple, 
its arrangements, its exits and entrances. Behold the line and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them so that they may be faithful to its design and follow all its regulations. Does anyone else, does this seem weird? You are to be ashamed of your sin and then when you are ashamed of your sin, consider architecture. <laughs> is anyone else confused? You should be. I am. I'm a student of scripture. I'm a little confused by that. What does that mean? That I, I consider the temple. I consider its gates. I consider its walls. I consider its plan. Well, if we understand that as just thinking about the numbers of the lengths of the walls, and that is our instruction to deal with our sin, then we are missing it. And the beauty that we have is the fullness of the text, which helps us understand this more fully. Because we are not in repentance to consider architecture. We are called to be architecture. Listen to Revelation chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. If you want to turn to it, you can. Hold fast to me, God's command. This is actually Christ speaking. Christ is speaking to John in another vision about what the future reality is out of present obedience. Hold fast to me. The one who is victorious, if you are victorious, I will make you a what? Anyone know? A pillar. You want to think about the architecture of the temple, think about the numbers of pillars that God says are in the temple. The number of things that are going on there. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. It's not that we consider architecture. It's that we understand that as God is making his future city, we are his future city. He is the one making, fashioning, and forming us. And what do we hear from Revelation? We hear that it comes through holding fast to Jesus. Holding fast to the one who can make us holy, who can take us out of our shame, who can take us out of our prostitution and our idolatry, who can take us out of our addictions and are holding fast to all these things that don't give life and they give death. That as we hold fast to Christ, the one who gives life and hope and purpose and grace and love, as we hold fast to him, He is the one who makes us part of his temple. We are a brick. We are a doorway. We are a decoration. We are a pillar. We are what he makes us to be in our present reality as we face the shame of our foolishness and our sin, our brokenness in Jesus Christ. As we face this, as we open it up, as we repent of it and put it away and bury it so that it doesn't come back to haunt us, us as we live into that putting away of the old in Jesus Christ God shaves a little corner off of us he paints uh, uh, us as as a door a new collar he gives us uh, another decoration that we didn't have before But it's for his purpose to make his city more beautiful in the future but it starts now it starts here Starts this morning. Starts in this moment. Take your outline. Get your pen. 
And on the bottom, name your shame. Name your shame. What is it? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it lying? Is it gossip? Is it materialism? Is it racism? Is it some sort of idolatry that you worship and give your life for something else, a hobby, a video game, Pokemon Go? Oh, good grief. I'm not even going there. Not even going there. And if you are catching Pokemon in my church this morning, I'm just telling you, you and I are having a conversation later. All right? Did anyone catch a Pokemon this morning? Just be honest if you did. Name your shame. Name it. Name it. It's there. You know what it is. You can name it. You know your heart. You know the dark corners. You know the rooms with the locked doors. You and I know the places where we hold a key and we hold it so tightly so that nobody can even see it and that we have it. We come to church on Sunday and we try to put on the best show that we can. Everything's fine. Everything's great. I don't have that. I don't, I don't feel, no, no. And then we leave this place and many of us shed tears. Many of us have that ache in our gut because we know it's still got a hold of us. It's still got us. It's still dragging us to the trough of sin and we are consumed by it. We are in bondage, not in freedom. If you are convicted by the shame that you know for your sin, then put it away. And it's not just one of those meaningless things that we say, we're never going to do this again. The definition of insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If you have tried to put it away by trying to do it on your own in the past and it hasn't changed, open it up. There will be elders. I want to invite all the elders up here after the service. We are here to help you live into freedom. You have my email address. It's easily accessible on the website, elgersmuth, the rivercrc.com. Please, let's open these things up that they may be put away so that we might live into the experience of God's grace transforming our reality right now, here this present, this moment, July 17, 2016, that day is a day of transformation so that the future, the future of my part of the city, my pillar, my doorway, my decoration, my paving stone, whatever it is that God is shaping, fashioning, and forming me to be in his city, that that reality is made more sure because I have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in my now, my present, my today. And my future is different because of it. In Christ, God's particular plan for his city is us. We are the city. God is constructing us to be the home he lives in. In our shame, God is moving us in repentance to be holy. Remember, 
you have this vision of the glory of God when he comes and returns through the east gate and he sets his foot on the footstool that he has shaped, fashioned, and formed for his place. We want to be there to see that glory. I do. I long for that. This world is desperate for it. I am so tired of all the yuck. I need the glory. And that glory is assured. It's a promise that God always keeps. He always keeps his promise, promises. But it is made more by me living into the grace of Jesus Christ in the now so that the future is different in God's city. The city that we all, who know Jesus, are a part of. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, you are making us. You are shaping us, fashioning and forming us. And Lord, there are people here who celebrate that fashioning and forming. They have seen you've been at work in the past and they affirm that your work has changed who they are and they have lived into hope and love and freedom. I pray, Father, that you equip those who have experienced it to speak into the lives, the hearts, and the minds of those who long for it but haven't experienced it yet. I pray for those folks who are sitting here in shame, trying to live into freedom, hoping and longing for new life, hoping and longing to be in your presence, in your holiness, but they know, Lord, that their sin and their shame is, is, is blocking them, is holding them back. I pray, Father, that you equip those folks through the power of your spirit to open it up, to open up the cupboard, to unlock the door, to go into the dark corner. And that, Lord, in that calling, in that shame, and in that conviction, that they go to others, others they can trust, others who are followers of Jesus Christ, who experienced your freedom and your hope and your love in the past, that they can be equipped, Father, with brothers and sisters around them to live into this new life. This new life without bondage. This new life without the pain in our gut of knowing we are hiding our things from you, Lord. We are stopping you from coming in and making us new because we are afraid. Father, overcome that fear through your grace. You are a good God. May we receive your goodness. And may we receive it in such a way that it empowers us to put this stuff away, to bury it, that it never comes back, that you instead, Lord, take that away from us. You forgive it, and then you give us the new life and the freedom that comes from living without being held down by our shame. Father, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.